a gifted pastor, teacher, writer, and leader. A.J. Sherrill has over 15 years of pastoral experience in diverse church settings across the nation. His book, Quiet, Hearing God Amidst the Noise, helps guide the dialogue about why silence is so important to our human experience today. AJ joins us in this episode of Let the Music Play podcast as we discuss the practices to reconnect to the conversation that began long ago. I'm Ashton Gustafson, and welcome to Let the Music Play. Yeah, like what if it's true that joy is not tethered to outcomes? What if that's true? I think it's got to be tethered to whatever that conversation is that has been always happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Whatever that is, I'm very interested (laughs) in presenting myself to be a part of that dialogue. Hey guys, Ashton Gustafson here, and welcome to another episode of Let the Music Play podcast. This is where we chat about what it looks like, what it feels like, and what it means to make music with our lives, our relationships, and our careers. Not long ago, I uh, crossed paths with a beautiful book written by A.J. Sherrill, who is the pastor of Mars Hill in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This book was called Quiet, Hearing God Amidst the Noise. And when we chat about letting the music play in our life, it seems like the conversation just keeps coming back to the Thomas Merton quote, uh, if we have no stillness, if we have no silence, God will not be heard in our music. So this beautiful book called Quiet, Hearing God Amidst the Noise was written by A.J. I sent his people an email and said, hey, could I chat with A.J. for a while? And they said yes. And that being said, A.J.'s joining us. So A.J., thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, man, really honored to uh, to be on this with you. Well, man, I tell you what, uh, I'm super grateful for you and your work and your light that you put into the world. Um, I, I, I introduce people often as I say, you are one of us here at Let the Music Play podcast. So um, super thankful for you saying yes. When you introduce yourself um, to people, maybe that haven't crossed paths with you, uh, how do you introduce yourself in the work you're doing in the world? Uh, I think the thing that I'm most uh, attracted to talking about what I care about is um, local context. Like I really care about um, the church. I believe um, in the beauty and in the um, the mission of the church, and I really desire to be um, a local pastor that mm-hmm. loves the people that I'm looking at really well. Love that. And so tell me a little bit about your path arriving at the local church of Grand Rapids. I know you've kind of spent some time in New York City. You went to Fuller Seminary. Give me a little bit of the background of, of your history getting to Grand Rapids. Yeah, so mine, like most, was and is a circuitous journey. Um, I was actually born in Michigan on the other side of the state, raised in Nashville and Orlando. And since then, I've done ministry in uh, Long Beach, California, Atlanta, New York City, and most recently now Grand Rapids. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of my journey, uh, having done ministry from Orlando to California to Atlanta to New York, now Grand Rapids, has been like really seeing that as, as much as like each of us have a sort of call and mission, um, I just sort of discovered that God's mission has never stopped being me <laughs> in my own growth and my own transformation. So each of my sort of road my roadmap has been full of just stops along the way where I have felt like there's been something specific there for my own journey, um, to make me more fully human. Um, and so, yeah, I, they, they've each had their sort of like own sort of spin on what it is 
um, I'm resting in and enjoying and other things that are less helpful for, um, for me to truly live a life that's honest before God and genuinely cares about people. So, uh, yeah. Beautiful. I love that. So you've, you've had these paths, um, each place leading to, uh, a, a fuller you, a more authentic you, a transformed you. And now you're in Grand Rapids, um, at Mars Hill. I really wanted to get into the dialogue today with your work, uh, on your book that you wrote, Quiet, Hearing God Amidst the Noise. Um, it seems like, uh, there is, there's so much noise that (laughs) this the conversation of silence and stillness and solitude, uh, is really something that the church, uh, is trying to find vernacular for and, and, and find practices for again. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think so much of this book came out of um, my own failures, my own experience, my own sort of lack of depth in my own um, spiritual journey. Like the the inner noise that I talk a little bit about came out of my time in Long Beach. And obviously the external noise came out of my time in New York, which hmm. uh, is just capsized by sirens and sounds everywhere <laughs> you go. Um, so a lot of that book is sort of like a a, a memoir of my own journey of finding, is it possible that there's a deeper path of connection with God beyond doing and beyond noise and beyond achievement? That's much more fulfilling and being centric. Um, yes. so yeah, that's what that book is all about. Yeah. Love it. So it's, it's recovering, you know, we were human beings before human, do, human doings as a pastor. Why, why do you, why do you see this conversation about silence is so important today? Well, um, I, I've been wrestling with the possibility that my greatest pastoral call and my greatest ministry is to teach people to pray. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that might be true. Cause I know it's true for me. Like I still am learning how to pray and what that even means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just sensed that like the elephant and maybe every single church congregation is that none of us are doing it well. Mm-hmm. We all sort of, sort of the neglective, the neglected, um, conversation or trajectory in our life. I feel like, um, you know, we all know certain aspects of prayer, but I think we all feel pretty, I shouldn't speak for other people, but at least for myself, I, I often feel pretty shallow in my connection with the divine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I, for me, it's just been, a pursuit that what if life is really learning how to be in this conversation that's been happening all the time. And I've just been unaware of it or involved in so many different conversations that aren't really as life giving. Yeah. You know, and there, that triggers, um, a sentence that I can, I can remember highlighting in your book. And you said something along the lines of prayer isn't so much about us saying certain things more, more it's us centering back into a conversation that's been going on forever, um, which killer sentence, by the way. Um, and you want to riff on that, just kind of regaining the beauty of the conversation that's always been going on. Yeah. I, a few years ago, um, I ran across a quote by Desiderius Erasmus from the 16th century where he reinterpreted John one. that was so mind blowing for me. Hmm. Um, you know, John one in the beginning yep. was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And he reinterprets the the term logos, like what if it means conversation, that we believe in this triune God that's, that's one yet three. And what if this God 
spoke who somehow mysteriously created the world out of a conversation. In the and beginning if, was the conversation. Yeah. What if in the beginning was the conversation and the conversation was with God? The conversation was God. I think that's interesting to at least think about. And when you think about Romans 8 of the spirit groaning inside of you, whatever that means, right? I started thinking about like the, the mystery of this spirit groaning in me to commune with the Father and the Son and to draw me into that conversation. Would I even know what that sounds like? Would I even know what that feels like? Do I even believe that's true, that God the Spirit is living inside of my being, desiring to connect me to the transcendent God who's everywhere and drawing me into a better conversation than the one I want to have. Hmm. Wow. That's really good. And I think Rohr, uh, Richard Rohr talks a lot about, um, well, and maybe it's even, uh, Meister Eckhart being that the eye through which I see God is the eye through which God sees me. And I, and I think a little bit of that is what you're getting back to there is this concept of, um, there's like an anthem, a conversation, a song, a tune that was struck deep, deep in our being, in our soul, whenever ago, right? Um, and prayer is really realigning with that, centering back into that. And, mm. and when that's the dialogue, when, when you're plugged back into the conversation, and the conversation was God, and the conversation is God, it sure does change your hands and feet as you go out into the world. Yeah, sure. Sure. Oh man, that's good. So if we need silence, if conversation, if the conversation about silence is so important today, you write in the book about kind of these chief triggers of noise that are in our head of competence, comparison, and control. You want to walk me through kind of what you mean when you say this, this brain chatter, this mind chatter that, that really is the work that we're looking to silence, mute, as we plug into that conversation that's been going on forever. Yeah, it's funny. Those three C's of confidence, comparison, control actually came um, out of a random tangential conversation I was um, having with Father Rohr, who just kind of like made that as an offhand comment. You know, when you're in the presence of a sage and they just yes. have throw comments that absolutely change your life. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You as, go back to the Yeah, as he does about every 30 seconds. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I started really reflecting on those three C's and came at least woven through the fabric of my own story, understood that like all of my anxiety, all of my anger and frustration, all of my lust, all of these things that actually draw me away from being more human um, what if underneath them is like a deeper thing happening that leads to my frustrations? Hmm. And, and what if it's because I don't feel competent enough? What if it's because I'm trapped in a cycle of just comparison, which isn't helpful? And what if I'm trying to control my experience of life in such a way that actually like prevents me from living it? Um, wow. and so I just started to see my own journey as caught up in this drama, this cycle uh, as St. Hesychius said, I believe in the 8th century, about just this donkey going around the mill over and over. And I I felt like, how do I get off this? Is there another path? Is there another way that is deeper and richer and truer than the sort of like pathway and, and treadmill that I've been on for so long? Hmm. And so that was like a lot of it. I think in New York, too, when you live in major cities, New York, LA, Seattle, and really I even see it in Grand Rapids and, and other suburbs that I, I visit and I'm a part of. Um, I think that these three C's are like operative for most people. And it's almost like 
all of the cultural recruitment that's happening for our lives, our souls, our minds at all points of the day, I think they continue to sort of like pull us into the narrative of asking questions like, am I good enough? Am I competent? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pete, am I interesting? And then like, why am I not getting what I want out of life? Why isn't life going my way? And there's all this control. And I've just been thinking through the course of my own life that what if I didn't have to sort of log into these three C's? What if there's another way that's much more freer um, and much truer to who God's called me to be? Well, that was, you know, as you were just talking about that, I was like, well, really, the, these three C's are the the headwind to freedom, right? Um, and yet, all too often, with comparison, control, competence, we don't even know we're imprisoned by these things. Right, right. Um, and, and I think the conversation of stillness and silence and solitude allows the human spirit a little bit of space just to be aware to get bird's eye and, and and be like do you see these chains do you see the prison bars you're putting up with comparison um mm. and maybe that's my own personal experience with the contemplative and in a lot of these practices but they've been such a gift and the only thing i know on the other side of it is it's just a freer lighter and brighter spirit would you say you found the same things Yeah. I mean, my story just in a nutshell is I went from starting this ministry in Orlando that just, just worked by all like sense of like human metrics. It just exploded. Hmm. And so, um, I realized in my mid twenties, like I'm not ready to manage like a big thing. I don't know anything. Hmm. And so, um, I parachuted into Long Beach to church plant. Um, and it just like failed. And, all of the upward mobility that you sort of don't believe, but you do. And you think that you're the asterisk and life's just going to continue to go great for me. And I'm going to be the one that doesn't go through challenge and strife and anxiety and pain. I found that, um, when we, when we opened doors in our churches in our church in Long Beach, I found that I realized I didn't know how to pray that I had sort of created this big ministry in Orlando and it was fine and good. And I'm sure good things came out of it. But it was only in Long Beach that I realized that I actually needed people to show up to my thing to validate and reinforce my identity. Wow. And wow. I didn't know how to actually connect with the groaning, the stenogmoi in the Greek, the groaning of the spirit in me. All I knew how to do was to like launch out requests to God and hope that they came true and talk at God. Um, and that when I was done speaking, the conversation must be over. So now I can go like do whatever I want and hope it works out. Um, so I think my stumbling into this pathway was really through failure and mm-hmm. through realizing that like what I've been doing isn't working for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and is there more? And mm-hmm. is there a deep connection that sort of transcends outcomes and mm-hmm. transcends control and whether I'm good at something or whether it works the way I want it to, um, which isn't exactly great news until it, until it is great news. No, right. And and mm-hmm. until that pain outweighs the pleasure of the momentum. People are coming. This deal's working. This thing's ginning, right? Like I'm I'm from more of a business background, but I can totally see how it overlays into church. Um and then you realize, "Oh my gosh, surely there's more. This ha- there has to be more meaning here. There has to be more beauty, more joy to take in." And it seems like 
it's crazy that empty space and silence seems to be the remedy for the momentum of more and more and more and more and building things and more numbers and so forth. Yeah, like what if it's true that joy is not tethered to outcomes? What if that's true? Joy? What if it's true if joy is not tethered to outcomes? That's good. Yeah, it's just tethered. So is it tethered to being? I think it's got to be tethered to whatever that conversation is that has been always happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Whatever that is, I'm very interested (laughs) in presenting myself to be a part of that dialogue, um, which I think often is more of a gaze than it Mm -hmm. is like propositions or or some sort of word function. Wow. Yeah, words can mess it up sometimes. Um, Beautiful. So then, then... Tell me this, as you, as maybe some, some of our listeners are like, AJ Ashton, I'm not understanding that. I'm not understanding giving yourself space and, and carving out room to be quiet and, and anything like that. Um, one of the lines that I love that you wrote was, <clears throat> you kind of realize at some point that we are, we are less important than we think, yet more loved than we know. Um, and I really think it's, that's a, a huge freedom theme of surrender and silence. You want to talk about a little bit about the gaze you were just mentioning and that it isn't so much about doing, but it is in gazing into that conversation, becoming a part of that conversation, being one with that conversation. Yeah. There's this icon that is so beautiful about that. It's the Trinity sitting around a Eucharistic table. And I don't remember who said it. Um, I know I quoted it somewhere at the end of that little book, um, where it says that, uh, he looked at me and I looked at him and we were happy. Um, Mm. that there's just some sort of like the way I describe it is, is, um, being on a, a date with your significant other that at first it's all about words and getting to know you and, hearing your story and you just can't get enough. You're on the phone until late at night or you just can't go home because you don't want to stop the conversation. But you get to that point in marriage. I used to look down at couples that, you know, were in their sixties and they were sitting at dinner and they were quiet. <laughs> why, why my fiance at the time had so much to talk about. And we were, Oh, so interesting. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, what must it be like to be in your sixties and have nothing else to say? And yet I, I think I realized later that, what if a gaze actually communicates so much more over the course of time, anything I could utter? What if you just know by seeing someone, something that takes time and sort of marinating? And when I think about this statement of, of that you are less significant than you think, but more loved than you know, the significance that we draw in life, the importance we draw in life is so often the equation of com- competence, comparison, control. And so if we can get off that, that treadmill, then we can realize that even if things don't work out the way we want them to, the love, the belovedness that we are in Mm -hmm. God is where true flourishing is actually discovered. And so what if that's true, that, that we're actually all of the ways that we try to prop ourselves up and create significance. What if it's already there in the first place? And that we don't have to earn it or get it or achieve it, but we can live into it and out of that place can allow life to happen in whatever form it takes. The intimacy is always available everywhere all the time. 
I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The 60 year old, 65, 70 year olds and the gays, they may just have it dialed in. <laughs> I love that. Beautiful. So, um, I know that there's some different practices that it seems as though a lot of us are starting to rediscover. It's not that they ever weren't here. I just sure didn't know about them. Um, things like Lesio Divina, uh, centering prayer and so forth. Um, you want to share just for some of our listeners, maybe kind of what, what is Lesio Divina and centering prayer and kind of how you've navigated them, you know, how you've used them in your life and the fruits that they've produced. Yeah, I mean, Lexio is, um, it means divine reading, and it's simply a way to allow the text to read you rather than reading the text. So obviously you're going to read the text, but it's a devotional way to center ourselves in the narrative of Scripture. Um, rather than trying to extract data and figure it out, it's almost giving permission for the Spirit to move through the Scripture to sort you out. Hmm. Um, and it so reads, there's like It reads you, you don't read it. Yeah, that's right. And that, that, and that's been said, that's nothing novel for me. Yeah. Um, that's not my phrase. That's been said by much wiser people than I in the past. And so I've sort of borrowed that. Um, but I, you know, I think the four sort of trajectories of to read and to let it read you and just read it over and then to sort of, you know, reflect, like have mm -hmm. a moment of saying, what is, is there a word here? Is there a phrase? Is there part of this, whatever this teaching is that I need to let soak in? And I just need to press into this word um, and then to record, like writing down what's coming up for you, like getting really clear. And the last part is rest. So read, record, or excuse me, read, um, reflect, record, and rest of just moving yourselves, whatever has come up for you, getting off of it, saying God gets that, God heard that. Uh, and I can just like sit here in presence and know that I'm known and know that I'm beloved. Um, so it's just those four simple little directions and I find that people – so I, I wrote Quiet as kind of like a primer for Protestants who have never been exposed to these sort of realities, to mm -hmm. know that they're safe. Like they're within the Christian tradition. They're not things that are tangential to um, some of our fathers and mothers in the faith that have stumbled upon interacting with God in really profound ways. Um, so I wanted to present that it's faithful, first of all, and historic. Yeah. Um, but – you know, I also think that this is a really easy way to get in the pool. You're not asking someone to just center for 20 minutes from the get-go. It's to allow yourself to give yourself to Scripture and to allow the Spirit to speak to you, and then over time to really begin to move into being with God. Um, so I think it's a good first step for people that are really wanting to try these things on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and let me say that— um the, the book, I mean, you, you did a beautiful job of making it very concise. You know, you can, you, can, uh, you can take as long as you want with this book, or it can be a, you know, a pretty quick journey, uh, but you give great dialogue into, okay, now that you've done this, take these 20 minutes and do this. And so for people that maybe have never, you know, the contemplative is super foreign, um, you do a great job of saying, this is why we need to be having this conversation. And then additionally, hey, here's some practices, here's some examples uh, of some things you can do. And so kudos to you for uh, a great job. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful read, um, and I know it's, it's been a great light in my life. Thanks, man. I think the practice um, around these that's most meaningful to me in these now, I guess it's been 
uh, probably like seven years in my contemplative journey at this point, um, has been the Jesus prayer. The Jesus mm. prayer, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, is the most utilized prayer in church history. And it's the most underutilized prayer probably in the world. <laughs> right. I, I find that to be somewhat telling. Like uh, One of the phrases that I kick around a lot in my heart is that faithful is greater than novel. And I think we've just bought into so much novelty and it's exhausting to constantly try to produce innovation and cr- creativity rather than being faithful and allowing creativity to flow out of abiding. Hmm. Uh, and when it comes to the Jesus prayer, it's just, you know, it came out of that Russian pilgrim is the legend that trying to take seriously first Thessalonians five seventeen to pray without ceasing um, and couldn't find anyone that knew how to do that. And um, what does it mean to create a prayer that becomes part of your muscle memory that throughout your day, Underneath the hood, there's always this prayer going on, joining this dialogue of the Lordship of Jesus, that he's the Son of God, and that we are fragile human beings in need of mercy that God is desiring at all times of the day to pour out. Um, So that's been probably the practice of all of them that I'm trying to most consistently root and have been miserably failing in it (laughs) three years and find that even in my failure, God is just so amazingly loving to constantly draw me back to his so well is that story that roar says about when someone asked him about what goes on in the monastery and they basically said we fall down and we get up we fall down and we get up um that's the beauty of it so it, it if this isn't about innovation if this isn't about novelty uh re you know recreating the wheel what truly is in your opinion the invitation What's the invitation to to be quiet, to find silence, to be still, to enter the gaze? What what can be had there? Well, I, I think uh, I think abiding is really big for me. Hmm. Um, I I think here's what I notice: Jesus is silent at the beginning of his ministry. Uh, his ministry doesn't begin with the beatitudes. Uh, his ministry begins in the wilderness. Wow. So it's interesting to me that he's silent in the wilderness. Um, the Son of God begins his life when he's silent in the womb, and then it mm-hmm. ends his life when he's silent in the tomb. And that quiet seems to always precede empowerment. So when I think about the kind of life that was led after the wilderness of, of desert silence and then out of the tomb into resurrection life, I think maybe there's a pattern for us there. That for us to live from who God has called us to be in our belovedness requires a sense of being with God in such a way that reminds us who we are and that we're living from that place. And from that place, you can experience all sorts of successes and all sorts of failures and never lose sight of who you are. And I think for me, that's the invitation that I have in my short life so far have had many successes I never could have drawn up. And I've had significant failures that I never would have wanted. And through it all, I've just been asking the question, what is going to root me to know and to live from that place of who God has called me to be? And, and abiding has everything to do with that. I mean, you read John 15, and you can't get away from the fact that perhaps that is the greatest call of our everyday life, is to be with God. And from that to flow. Um, 
So I'm always struck by Matthew 6, where Jesus calls us to pray in our room. And, you know, I think about that architecturally. Yeah, the kitchen-like pantry in the center where things were kept cool and there were no windows and it assured privacy and it assured sincerity rather than posturing and performing. But yet, I think Jesus is also like speaking at a deeper level, not just architecturally, but existentially. I think perhaps... Jesus isn't just saying, go pray in your room. I think he's saying, pray in the innermost part of who you are. Mm. And so from that place, when you ask things in my name, you will have them. And I've always been like mystified by that text of like, well, Jesus, I ask for things all the time and slap on the end of the prayer in Jesus' name, and it doesn't happen. So what's that about? <laughs> right. And maybe it's because we're actually not praying from the groans. We're praying from mm. the superficial things caught up in those three cycles, those three triggers it don't actually produce life. So why would God be committed to seeing those things come about? Um, I'm, I'm not sure that that's very, um, very inspirational for God to join that. But I do know that prayer, I feel, I feel clearer about what I long for in life when I've sat with my longings and my dreams and my despairs long enough in the morning to know how to pray and, and what's true and what's right and what's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so I think for me, that's the motivation um, is to be in alignment. And I think to do that is to abide. Wow. That was beautiful. Um, so the, the, the conversation is, yeah, it's about going in the room and shutting the door. Um, but it's, there's even another level of what's the interior posture of your soul. Like, um, it, can you even, can you even get quiet internally, right? It's one thing to be where there, there's a place where there isn't noise, but it's, it's even another level to truly go into that sacred space, um, on the inside to where you can participate in that gaze. Yeah. I think one of the desert fathers talks about, um, even in that space to utilize your body, to, to put your head down toward your heart to remember that the deepest part of you, as great as the mind is, it's in the heart. And uh, someone wise once said that the mind is a wonderful servant and a terrible master. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's something true to that in prayer that we get caught up in our, our doubts and in our propositions and in our reason. And I think all of those things are really, really helpful and good. But at the end of the day, um, my greatest loyalty to the Trinity is to trust, not to sort it out. And I think there's something about the heart posture that just calls me, hey, AJ, you got so much stuff to deal with. You have so many things in your life that are undone. And yet in this moment, I'm remembering that you're making all things new and I don't have to sort it all out. I don't have to figure out my entire life right now. I can just be and rest and it take one step today at a time. I think if there's anything our generation needs to hear, it's that you don't have to finish the product of your life today. Um, yep. there, is, there is a sense of just being with God and allowing God to give you grace for the next step in this journey that you're on. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, do we not need eyes just to note, just to take in the daily bread, right? I mean, we're our generation gets so far down into the future um, that I think we miss the oxygen that's here for our lungs in the now. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I could do this all day, by the way. Um, so what's, 
what's currently keeping you curious? I always ask our, our guest on here. Um, anything yeah. that's, that's, uh, striking up something new in you that you're studying or anything like that? Yeah, I've sensed, um, I've sensed this is, uh, every single year on, on January one, um, I love to do this experience through the fruit of the spirit to discern like what, what aspect of the journey is God wanting to produce more fruit in my life? And, um, this year it's peacemaking. Peacemaking. Uh, right on. And I think, I think it's peacemaking in an age of incivility, uh, particularly in the political cultural moment that we find ourselves in. I've been reading a lot of uh, Dr. King's sermons. I recently went with um, Todd Detheridge. He founded an organization called Telos that advocates the end of a zero-sum mentality when it comes to global conflict, specifically the uh, Israel-Palestinian conflict. And I've just felt like God is calling me into a deeper understanding of um, what it means to be a peacemaker, um, what it means to care about um, all sides of the conversation, and um, what it means to end a zero-sum mentality, uh, which is really hard. It's not easy. And it strikes me that blessed are the peacemakers is a beatitude that precedes you will be persecuted for <laughs> all of these such things. I I think that peacemaking in our time actually brings on a lot of opposition because mm. we want to be right and we want to clear lines of who's right and who's wrong and who's in and who's out, who's on this side and who's on that side. And, and that we end up not really satisfying a lot of people when we're advocating for the end of a zero sum mentality. Um, so that's my journey. Uh, guys like Jer Swigert and John Huckins and Tony Campola. I just, I'm so moved. Uh, Lynn Hybels just moved by their leadership in this area and wanting to grow in that Christina Cleveland, just doing incredible things. Yeah. Christina's doing some beautiful things. Um, I love that. So do you, just, just out of curiosity, did, January 1, do you try to get a sense of what the fruit's going to be for the year? Um, does, does it change for you? I mean, is, is it joy one year? Um, yeah, that's right. I, awesome. I've paired each fruit of the spirit with a weed of the ego. And <laughs> I, I often find that I can access the fruit that God is really longing to develop in me more um, when I assess where are there weeds in my life and what are those pointing to, wow. um, God wants to beautify. And so that's kind of a way to get at it. That's a beautiful to, practice. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I'm gonna have to take notes of that. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh man, laugh more, laugh more. Let's go. More information is not an adequate substitute for intimacy. More information uh, is not an adequate adequate substitute for more intimacy. Wow. More information is not an adequate substitute for spiritual intimacy. I am a I'm an avid reader, learner, um, and it's it's hard to be with God because I'm constantly thinking, oh, how can I wield this into a teaching or to a book or to a thought or to a tweet? And again, that gets back to the chief three triggers of why are you doing this again? And Mm -hmm. why don't you just enjoy life? Take a walk, love your wife, (laughs) just put the book down. My wife said to me last night, her name's Elena. Um, she said, would you be interested in just seeing me more and seeing less of your books? (laughs) (laughs) I, and yes, and yes, I, 
that is what I want. And so please continue to tell me when I veer off that course. Mm. So AJ, you're young, laugh more, laugh more younger self, have fun. Love it. That's the heartbeat of all this. I hope, um, man, well, this was awesome. I, uh, uh, you, you, you brought some wonderful things today from, I know all of us to sift through, I'm going to have to go back through here and take note of some of this. Um, let me just say from afar, Texas to Michigan, love what you're doing. Love the light that you're putting in the world. Love the peace that you're trying to make. Um, and it's just such a gift to be able to share some air with guys like yourself and, um, listen to the good you're doing and just know that, we're in your corner, and um, thank you for your your generosity and your good and necessary work. Awesome. Thanks, Ashton. Come see us in Grand Rapids, all right? Okay, man. Let's make it happen. If our listeners want to follow you uh, in your work, where would best place? Where would you send them? If they want to look at your teachings, can they go to Mars Hill site? Uh, if they want to follow you online, social media platforms, where would you send them? Yeah, MarsHill.org is a good place uh, for teachings, and then uh, Twitter is just my name, AJ Sherrill pretty simple. Awesome. Beautiful, man. Okay. Well, thanks again so much uh, for joining us. I'm going to make it to Grand Grand Rapids soon and uh, hope to catch you soon. Peace. All right, man. Peace. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with AJ as much as I did. If you have interest in following AJ and finding some of his teachings online, you can go to marshill.org slash teaching. You can also go to Amazon and find all of his writings there. If you want to follow his journey via social media, go to Instagram, AJ underscore Cheryl. And as we approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love. Hey, I wanted to invite you to a weekend I'm going to be hosting at my home in Waco, Texas. This weekend is going to be revolving around the study of the Enneagram. You guys have heard me speak about this before. Uh, I have found the Enneagram to be one of the most powerful and insightful tools for understanding ourselves and others. At its core, the Enneagram really helps us to see ourselves at a deeper, more objective level, and it can also be just invaluable assistance on our path to self-knowledge. We're bringing in Chris Hewitts from the Gravity Center. You guys have heard Chris and his wife, Felina, on the podcast. Uh, he's one of the nation's foremost experts in the space of the Enneagram. It's just going to be a great weekend of uh, personal reflection, uh, hopefully personal discovery, uh, and really uh, my hope is that it helps refuel all of us at the soul level to go out uh, and do our work, uh, our good and necessary work in the world. It's going to be Friday, June the 16th through Saturday, June the 17th. It's going to be a very uh, small group, limited to 20 of us, but it's going to be a great time. Make sure you go to my website for all information, ashtongustafson.com. Hope to see you there.